The sermon text reading is from Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, City Church. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I'm kind of clumsy. Uh, that we really are thankful to God that he's given us his word because he loves us and he wants us to know him and his mighty deeds more. We're going to talk about that today. If I could convince you of that, that Jesus is worth following, it would be a short sermon. And we'll grab Caroline the rest of the band, come back up. But first, I want to convince you that my, uh, my wedding night with Jackie, our dance, um, our... First dance, but then the rest of the celebration, um, the reception, was one of the best nights ever. And why? Because it was months and months of planning. Guys, if you, you know this, if, you've, uh, if you're married, that once you buy the ring and you get down on one knee and you propose and if you find she says, yes, you're like, yes, all right, we're ready to be married. But girls, you know, it's a different story for you. You can't wait to plan the best day of your life and you can't wait to pick out a dress it's what you've been looking forward to for a long time. Um, well, we were excited about the, the different details. Uh, Jackie more so about her dress than my text was like, ah, this is just typical. But what I was really excited about, what we were both really excited about, was the dancing. So we met with DJ Sean the week of. We said, hey, these songs are not going to be played. These certain songs would be awesome if you played. We trust you, DJ Sean. Um, and I started the night, the day with a white shirt, into the night with a gray shirt. I was just soaking wet with sweat. And the next day, I actually cramped up from dancing so hard. I should have stretched more. <laughs> and why do I say that uh, in relation to this psalm? Well, Scott, Scott's mentioned before in this series that two-thirds of the psalms aren't like that, aren't a celebration. They're lament. But the last psalm, Psalm 150 and actually the last five psalms of the Psalter, are celebration. An all-out celebration. And it's beautiful. They're called the Hallelujah Psalms. And in Hebrew, to be teachy for a second, uh, Hallelujah means to praise. In, in English, it's translated to praise. But Yah is Yahweh. The short version of Yahweh, which is the covenantal name of God. That he loves his people and he's made a covenant with him, and he says, hey, this is who I am. So, this morning, as we end the series, I want to go over a few points about this psalm of praise. First, we're going to be looking at who, who's praising. Who's praising to whom? What's going on there? We're going to be looking at the why. Why do we praise? The last five psalms are all praise, and they begin with praise the Lord, and they end with Praise the Lord. So it seems like this is an important thing. It'd be good to know the reason why we should do this. And third, we're going to look at how. What's the manner in which we should do this? So first of all, 
verse 1. We're going to look at who. Praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty heavens. This psalm commands us 13 times to praise the Lord. If you read it aloud or to yourself, it doesn't take very long to read, and you get the sense of, wow, this word praise 13 times. Okay, let's check this out. Like I said, Yah at the end of hallelujah. I didn't know this until <laughs> taking Hebrew, and maybe you, you knew this before. But Yahweh, uh, it, it goes all the way back to, to Exodus 3, the burning bush. And Moses gets the burning bush, and God's like, hey, here's what I want you to do. Here's how I want you to lead the people. In verse 14 of Exodus 3, he says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what Yahweh actually means. And he said, say to this to the people of Israel, I am has sent has sent me to you. This word I am, Yahweh, the Yah of Hallelujah, it's important because when the Israelites would have heard that message from Moses, they would have understood, oh, this is the God that has been before time. This is the God that we worship that has created us. That's amazing. And this is why scribes and Pharisees threw, uh, picked up stones to kill Jesus in John 8 after uh, Jesus said to them. This is John eight fifty eight. He says, Truly, true, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus equates himself with Yahweh. And for those who thought he was blaspheming, he deserved death. That was their thought. But what Jesus is saying is, Yes, Yahweh, the one you've been worshiping and following, I am him. It's pretty awesome. I know we're looking at the the first point is the who, but I also want to look at the where real quick. Praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. This also goes back to Exodus. After the Exodus, after God redeems his people, after they're redeemed from slavery, he goes to Mount Sinai, Moses is up there, he gets the Ten Commandments. But then afterwards, he tells Moses, this is Exodus 25, he says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. If you know history of Israel, first it was a tabernacle, then it became a temple. But the whole point of making a sanctuary is that God could dwell in their midst. And so we see, to praise God in his sanctuary, it's what what God's people have been doing the beginning since God called them out of slavery. We also see praise him in his mighty heavens. So where are we going to praise him? We're going to praise him in the sanctuary. Also, praise him in the mighty heavens. The Israelites weren't in heaven yet. So there's a sense of like, angels, they're praising him. And we see that in Revelation 5. It's pretty amazing. Around the throne, uh, John, John says in verse 11 and 12, Then I looked and I heard around the throne... Living creatures and elders and voices of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So looking back at verse 1, we can say, yes, we're going to join God's people. And they've been praising him in the sanctuary. It was a tabernacle. 
was the temple. Now we can praise him today in the sanctuary. But also we're going to be joining angels. So looking at the future, it's not just us. It's also the angels saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain. So when we look at the who of who is praising, we're praising God for his faithfulness. He is I am. Jesus equates Yahweh to himself. We're praising Jesus. We're joining the angels. And I just have a quick point of reflection, application, just a question to ask. On Between the Sundays, as we like to say, who are you praising? Who are you glorifying? Where are you putting your weight of your time? I personally would not like anyone to like see a notification I just got a few minutes ago, like how much time I spend on my phone daily. If you still get that notification if you're an Apple user. I don't know if Android has that, but... Um, The question is, who are you praising? This whole psalm is about praising God, so much so, but it doesn't mention praising ourselves. But oftentimes, that's exactly what I want. Even in preparing this sermon, I was like, man, I hope people really pat me on the back after this. Wait, that's the opposite of this. The whole point of this is to praise God. So I just ask, like, who are you praising during the week? It's easy to do that on the Sundays, but during the week... Who are you giving your weight to, your glory to? There's an author, uh, Randall Trevine, who says, There will be no national flag, political party, or news outlet in heaven. So let's stop worshiping them like there will be. I know that's convicting for me. It might be convicting for you. What are the things that you say by your time and your energy and talent, this matters? The psalm is saying, God, Jesus, he is the one to be praised. He matters. So we see the who of the praise. We're going to move on to the why. Why are we praising? Look at verse 2. Praise him for his mighty deeds. There's one. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. So what he's done and his character. They go hand in hand. But let's talk about mighty deeds. Like I said, at this point in time, Israelites... um, They would have thought about the Exodus. They would have thought about like, oh yeah, Abraham and you have Jacob. And then, oh man, we have 400 years in slavery. That was pretty bad. But then you have a God who's good enough to rescue you and give you 10 commandments. Say like, hey, here's how I want to be worshipped. And here's the commandments you should follow for a life to be, uh, to have a fruitful, uh, life-giving, yeah, life. (laughs) Your blessing. They also would have seen and heard stories about, hey, in the wilderness, there were like 40 years when we were out of Egypt, but we didn't get to enter the promised land. That was pretty rough. And I hear the prayer of Anna just a few minutes ago, and there's storms all around us, and it feels like a lot of times we're in the wilderness. Of losing a job, of losing a family member or a friend. Of having a fight with your spouse or a roommate. There's a lot of storms and a lot of wilderness. And yet, there's still the call to remember the mighty deeds of God. I think that's the important application is, in the midst of suffering, we can look at God and his mighty deeds. Not only that he rescued a people and brought them to the promised land, but we see that fulfilled in Jesus. His mighty deeds, let's look at his resume, how he was perfect for 33 years, three years of ministry, up to the point of the cross. 
and how he died for us and entered into suffering and into the wilderness, into the darkness, so we could have life. I was resurrected. That resume, that rap sheet of Jesus Christ, his mighty deeds, that alone is worthy of our praise, no matter where we are in life, no matter the storms that come. Paul says this in, in Colossians 1. He gets so pumped. It's actually called the Christ hymn. Uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Uh, if you'll excuse my, my nerding out a little bit. It's what a lot of commentators think was a common hymn. And Paul just, he goes into it. He says, this is talking about Jesus. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things. And in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. Firstborn from the dead. Then everything he might be preeminent. Giving him praise, giving him glory, because he is preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is Yahweh. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So we see the why of why should we worship? Why should we praise? Look at what Christ has done for us. He's reconciled us to himself. He's taken the weight of our sin, the times that we mess up, the times that we want to make life about ourselves. He said, it's actually about me, but I'll put my life down for you. C.S. Lewis says this. He speaks into the why. Also, why should we praise? He mentions the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Uh, it says that man's chief end, you all know this, is question one, to glorify God and to, joy, and to enjoy him forever. But he says, we shall know then that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. When we look at the work of Christ, it takes the pressure off ourselves. We can actually enjoy him. We can praise him. That's incredible. So we look at the why, and we've seen the mighty deeds, what God has done, his faithfulness throughout generations. We've seen his character, his, his excellent greatness. Those two things, those are the why. Our purpose in life to glorify God because of what he's done. It's amazing. If you think about, uh, I'm also going to mention one of my favorite shows, Ted Lasso again. If you think about why in sports, as college football started up yesterday, why are coaches hired? To win games. That's it. And so, unfortunately, if, I mean, if you're like a Tennessee fan like me, you've seen a lot of coaches the past 10 years, and it's going to be kind of depressing. Purpose of us, glorifying God, the purpose of the coach, we see this in Ted Lasso. They're at the bar, he and his assistant coach, his name's uh, Coach Beard, because he has this awesome beard. And um, at the end of season one, and this former, you know, all-star player, uh, Roy Kent, used to be amazing, now he's in Richmond, where they coach, and he's kind of washed up, to be honest. And so this hard conversation that Coach Ted Lasso has to have with him is, hey, we're going to need to bench you. So he has a conversation, 
and he doesn't actually get the words out that he needs to mention. And so he's meeting Coach Beard, his assistant coach at this bar, and there's some beer set up for him. He's like, whoa, man, what's the occasion kind of thing? He's like, well, I know you, were, you had that hard conversation. And Coach Ted Lasso has to say, actually, uh, I think it like, kind of hurt him. It would like, really take him out. He, he says this. He says, look, putting Roy on the bench wouldn't just be humiliating to him. It could actually affect his livelihood. And you know better than anyone that all this, this coaching, ain't about winning to me. And Coach Beard says, dang it, it is. And the whole bar kind of like looks over and like everyone's quiet. Like, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Ted's like, uh, who put this firecracker up your butt and lit it? He's like, you did. You did this. And I'm sick of it. Look, I understood the mission when we were in Kansas College. They were just kids. But these are professional players. And winning does matter to them. And it matters to me. And that's okay. Don't you get it? Losing has repercussions. We lose, we get relegated. We get relegated, and this has been for nothing. And if you want to pick a player's feelings over a coach's duty to make a point, I don't want to drink with someone that's selfish. And he walks off, he storms off. And you're like, whoa, man, what's going on? This truth of the reality is you're, you were hired, coach, to do your job, which is to win. And Coach Beard called him out on, like, you're not getting it. You're not getting the purpose. This whole operation is to win. Friends, Christians, if you're not glorifying God and if you're not thinking about why you should, if you're not centered on God's goodness, on Jesus, what he's done for us, his resume, it's almost like Coach Beard's like, please, get it. We're here to glorify God. It's not all up to us and our resume. Jesus has done the work for us. So we look at the why. Yes, we're, we're made not just to praise Him on Sundays, but to glorify Him in the ways we act with our neighbors and how we love others during the week as well. But this is based on God's goodness to us and what he's done for us. The last three verses of the text are going to mention not just who's doing the praising to whom, and not just why, why are we praising, but actually the manner. How, how are we to praise in this psalm? Verses 3 through 6. I don't want to miss this. The, fir- the first few times reading over this, I was like, wow, that's just a lot of uh, different instruments. But I want you to see something. The manner in which we're to praise. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. A few notes about these verses. First of all, Jackie mentioned to me this morning that Man, it would be amazing to see this, uh, a black pastor uh, read this with soul. And you've seen, if you've been to a black church, and the way they, they sing and praise, it's exhilarating. It's so joyful. I know we're pretty Presbyterian, so it's usually stiff. But look at these verses 3 through 6, and we see all these instruments 
one, uh, one application of that is this is not a solo praise. This is a collective voice. And so we're supposed to be praising with other people, with other believers. Again, it, it's not all about us. It's not us who we're doing the praise for ourselves. It's to God, but it's also with other people. And that's refreshing. But why all this music? Why, why three verses just about the trumpet, the lute, the harp, tambourine, cymbals, loud cymbals? Why, why these verses? I don't think they're wasted here. I think there's a purpose behind it in, in showing us the manner of how music, when it's together, it's, it's memorable. Mark Furtado says this. He's a commentator and an RTS uh, professor. He says, Music makes the message memorable. This whole series on the Psalms have been, here's how you can sing your emotions to God and with God to God. But he says this, All of God's key acts are accompanied by music. We have creation, we have the exodus, incarnation, the final redemption. And so part of praising Lord and thinking about his resume, God's resume, making it music, uh, with music, is going to make it memorable. That's how I actually, that's how I memorized the shorter catechism, was there's uh, a pastor that used to be an RF chemist minister who, who cre- created songs for each shorter catechism. And that's how I memorized it and passed licensure exam, partly, was this is how I know. Because music makes it memorable. But also, Music is powerful. Dr. Furtado says this, God does not simply want us to comprehend the message. Yes, there's good theology. We're for that. He wants us to be moved by it. Moved in every aspect of our being. And music has a unique power to move the human spirit. God wants to move us so he communicates in a way that touches the mind, the body, emotions, and the spirit. Friends, God cares about our mind. God cares about our body, our emotions, and our spirit. And what this psalm is pointing to is, yes, those are all affected when there's music, and there's good music accompanied by good theology and song and praising what the Lord has done. It's pretty amazing. So not only is it collective, it's with everything we have, and it affects our whole being. But in verse 6, we see this command, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So at the beginning, it seemed like it was angels and the people of God, because the people of God were the only ones that had the tabernacle back then. But this last verse, it points to the future. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Like we saw in Revelation 5, and we'll see again in a minute. But just a quick note about the the term breath. In Hebrew, this is from James Mays. Here's a quote about it. It says, Breath is more than any other term. It designates the vitality of physical life. To say you have breath is like, yes, you have life. The human being that comes from God. The original human being received the breath of life from God. And all human beings have life by God's gift of breath. That brings vitality and reason. So if God should withdraw his breath, all would return to dust. 
So there's this huge, in the, in the Bible, this emphasis on breath. And in the Psalms, this last Psalm of all 150 Psalms, there's this command that everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Everything that has life, praise the Lord. Why? Because he was the one that gave life. Looking forward to Revelation 5 again, we're going to touch the next verse. It's not just angels. It's not just humans. Revelation 5, 13, it says, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So actually the psalm saying, hey, everything that has breath is looking forward to, that's going to be a reality. Everyone is going to be worshiping and praising God. So there's an invitation invitation for us today. Will you join in that praising? There's also a tone of evangelism that should be here too. If everyone at the end is going to be praising and is called to praise right now, look at my neighbor who's not praising. There's a, there's a gap. And so we see the gospel. If we fully understand the gospel, yes, we should be centered on glorifying God, but part of that is loving others. And so you look at your neighbor who might not know the benefits of Christ and say, this is the reality. You're looking into the future. This is what life is going to be like. And so that grounds us right now. gives us hope and faith. That this is how it's going to be. The last five psalms are actually a pretty good indicator of the future and revelation. Everyone's going to be glorifying God. Will you join me in that? Will you love your neighbor and to say, look, my... I'm with you, man. My, my resume, as far as, like, works, I, I'm selfish, but look at Jesus' resume. That's, that's a cause to praise him and to glorify him. I'll end with this. In Mark, we see, as I said earlier, that Jesus actually took on flesh. He was in heaven, left the riches of heaven to come be with us. And be surrounded for 33 years not being praised was pretty incredible. A humble life, three years of ministry. The Son of God took on flesh to be around us, around the brokenness and sin, and actually to take our sin to the cross. It was on the cross in Mark 15. Mark says this, And Jesus uttered a loud cry, and he breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple where God was dwelling was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who stood facing him saw in the way that he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. I want to end here because isn't it amazing that Jesus, he utters a loud cry and breathes his last. His life he gives to us by breathing his last. Now we can breathe and have life in him. That's an incredible invitation to take that good news and say, yes, I'm going to praise you for that. I'm actually going to love my neighbor and try to witness to him, potentially, or her, and say, look at this resume. Look at Jesus' rap sheet, what he's done for you, what he's done for me. He deserves all the glory and all the praise. And that's actually the future, what it's going to be. So could you join me in that today? That's an invitation for us. That's an invitation for your neighbor. Let me pray real quick. 
God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that we are to praise you because of your goodness. Because your mighty deeds and your excellent character, Jesus, you are perfect and we are appreciative. Lord, forgive us when we are uh, self-centered and think life is all about us and get caught up in a lot of things. A lot of ways that we suffer and a lot of ways that we're struggling and we forget that you are good and that you're here with us and that Jesus, you breathed your last breath for us. Lord, we thank you for that today. Give us courage to praise you not just on Sundays, but to give you weight, to give you glory between the Sundays. Lord, even give us opportunities to praise you and to say, hey, this is amazing. Look at this resume of Jesus to others in our relationships, in our neighborhoods, in our community groups, in our workplace, families. Lord, that would be a huge blessing. We ask this in your name. Amen. One of the opportunities we have here at City Church on a monthly basis, but a confession of faith.